How many of you haven't seen that so far? Okay. Watch TV. Um, actually, no. I think that's one of our best uh, commercials that we've done. So it's a great way for you to kind of use that to invite uh, friends, uh, family next week to kind of be a part of that. And I'm really excited about going to the two celebrations. I think God's going to use that in a really great way. Um, the reason we're doing that is not because uh, now we've become a big, bad church, you know, uh, and now we have two celebrations. But the reason we're doing that is because it's going to leave more room and space uh, for people to connect. And uh, next week we're starting 40 Days in the Bible. And so uh, it's going to be a great way. So if you're visiting here for the first time, uh, next week you'll want to be here because we're going to dig into the Bible a little bit. And uh, not that we won't do that today, but over the next six weeks, it will really focus, kind of laser focus uh, on that. And uh, please get uh, plugged into a small group because that really is uh, the way in which you will grow the most. Well, today we are concluding our series, Just Walk Across the Room. And when you walked in today, in your program, you should have received some 3D glasses that look like this. So I'd like you to pull that out for a second. If you did not get a program or you do not have your glasses, uh, raise your hand and uh, Patty will get those glasses to you. And uh, there's some people here. So just keep it raised and uh, they'll pass some of those out uh, to you. There's a couple more over here on this side too. They're passing them around. Here we go. Well, as you're getting that, one of the things that we realize is that uh, watching a movie in 3D is so much better than just watching it in 2D. And any time that you've been to a movie theater and you see, uh, you've seen a movie in 3D, it's cool. Because you get a chance to uh, look at the movie from every angle. And you can see the grandness and the focus of uh, all the little details. So what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to take off your glasses just for a second. Just hold them in your hand. And it looked really cool, though, all of you had it on. So you should take a picture of that. But take them off just for a second. We're going to look at this picture. Okay? It's in 2D. Now put on your glasses. Whoa. 3D. Kind of looks like the flowers are actually jumping out you know, at you, because things are better in 3D. Okay, take your glasses off for a second. We're going to look at another picture that's in 2D. This is a picture of the Grand Canyon. But uh, now put your glasses on. Now look at it. Whoa, dude. Feels like you're right in there. Okay. Now, everybody take your glasses off for a second. And uh, we're going to show another picture here that's in 2D. Okay, now let's look at one in 3D. Put your glasses on. Much better, don't you think? Much, much better. Okay, last one. Take your glasses off for a second. Okay, pretty picture. But now put your glasses on. Cool, dude. Right? Really, really cool. It looks like the fish are like jumping right uh, into your lap there. It's pretty neat. Well, a few years ago, 
my wife Jennifer and I uh, went to a uh, vacation spot in the Virgin Islands for our anniversary. And while we were there, we went to Trunk Bay, which is one of uh, the seven most beautiful beaches in all the world. And everything just kind of looked like it was in 3D. And while we were there, we decided that we would go snorkeling. And I think we got a picture of me with my snorkel gear on. Oy. Not very attractive. But we went to Trunk Bay, and this is what Trunk Bay looks like. And you're like, let's go now, right? But that really is what it looks like. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous place. And when you're at Trunk Bay, one of the things they try to gear you towards is to go snorkeling. Because they have a snorkeling trail that is one of the best uh, in all the world. And so Jen and I, uh, we get all of our gear on, we get out into the water, and it's very calm and serene. The water's not even moving, it's just wonderful. And we get out there and it's the water's warm, the sun's down, and everything's great, but the only problem is, is that the whole point of snorkeling, folks, is not to keep your snorkel gear above the water. The whole key is to get your head down into the water so that you can see the beauty that is underneath it. Snorkeling has no fun at all if you just keep your head above, but you've got to get underneath the surface. And so we got to this trail and we get our heads into the water and all of a sudden all these fish start swimming all around us and we see coral reefs that are underneath that are just amazing and beautiful and it's like everything looks like it's in 3D and life is at its fullness. And I remember while we were doing that, all of a sudden, I'm not a real good snorkeler, Jen's really good. And the water started coming in the snorkel. And so I started going like that. And so I had to come up to surface. And when I came up to the surface, it was all calm and, you know, quiet. And to be honest, folks, it was boring. I'm at Trunk Bay and I'm looking up, but it's boring. And you know why it was boring? Because all the activity, all the movement, all the involvement was in the water. And so I had to get back into the place where everything was moving. Folks, there is much more to life than what appears on the surface. And God wants us to experience life, not in 2D, but He wants us to experience life in 3D. The fullest way that can be possible. And the way we're going to talk about this morning is talking about it through living a grander vision kind of life. How do we live a grander vision kind of life? Now, I think the the best passage of Scripture that we can look to is in Luke chapter 5 to talk about this grander vision living. In Luke 5, it's in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. Luke was a physician, and he's writing stories about Jesus. And in chapter 5, the story goes like this. You can follow along on the side screens or in your program. Once, when Jesus was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, 
The crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little far from shore. Sitting there, using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, Push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in their other boats to come over and to help them. They filled their boats up, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in the catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, there is nothing to fear. From now on, you will be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and they followed Jesus. How many of you have ever caught a fish before? Just raise your hand. If you've ever in your entire life. Now, when we go fishing, Jennifer has to bait the hook for me. It's really not that funny. I'm in recovery for that right now, okay? Okay, it only, that's only true the first three years of our marriage. After that, I got manly enough and I do it myself. But when we fish, when you catch one fish, people don't just sit there and go, oh, I caught a fish. People are like, whoa, look, man, we caught a fish. Now just think about Peter out on the water. They've been fishing all night long. And Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, why don't you go, go out just a little bit deeper and drop your nets? And they're like, come on, serious? We already fished all night long. We're not going to catch anything. He's like, no, 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 just go out there and do that. And they let the nets out. And all of a sudden the Scripture says, there was so much fish, folks, the boat began to sink. And they had to call their friends over there like, hey, hey, hey. You know what, we need one other boat. And they're like, okay, well, we'll help you. And then their boat begins to sink. This is a monstrous catch. This is like the mother load of catching fish. They'd never seen a, a catch like this. They've been fishermen their entire lives. And their nets are bursting and the boats are sinking. But I was thinking about it. You know, you don't really hear what Jesus is doing during this time. And this is what I think Jesus was doing uh, in the boat during this time. I think he's leaning back like this laughing. He's like, <laughs> why are you guys getting so excited about catching fish? It's not a big deal to catch fish. We catch fish all the time. You're, you're, you're really excited bunch about uh, a bunch of smelly, scaly fish. That's what you're excited about? I want you to think a little bit bigger. How about a larger, grander kind of vision? I mean, it's okay to catch fish. It's important to catch fish. I know it's your, 
uh, living. That's how you feed your family. That's fine. But instead of just netting a few dollars, how about landing a few destinies? Because that's where the action is. And all of a sudden, I have a feeling that the disciples, when he starts talking about, um, you know, catching people, and all of a sudden they stop. They're like, who cares about the fish? And then Jesus, you know, says, James and John, you guys are fishermen. That's great and all of that. But I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men and of women. Instead of using all your precious time and energy trying to catch little, small, six-inch fish, I'm going to go and teach you something in which you can catch six-footers. Not six inches, but six-footers. I'm asking you to give up everything you have. Give up everything that you are for the sake of people's souls. Come and be a part of that. And did you see what the Scripture says? It says they left everything. And they followed Him. Friends, from the moment that Jesus Christ came on planet Earth and He started teaching uh, His ministry, that since that moment, He has constantly been calling all sorts of people, not just fishermen, but factory workers and office workers and insurance agents. Walmart workers and marsh workers and teachers and accountants and doctors and lawyers and businessmen and businesswomen and contractors and fast food workers and unemployed folks and all the rest. And he's asking one question and he's saying, are you going to throw your one and only life into just getting small little fish? Are you going to risk tossing it into the deep end for human-sized ones. And today I think Jesus is asking you, just like He's asking me, are you ready to dive headlong into the grander vision or will you just live the rest of your life kind of in 2D, just kind of going through the motions, just on the surface? Now the question really becomes for us this morning, how do we live a grander life? How do you live a grander life? Well, first of all, and this is your first fill-in for your teaching outline, is you make people a priority. If you want to live a grander life, you make people the priority. You see, folks, when it comes down to it, all of life is about people. People matter to God more than anything else. And so if people matter to God, then they need to matter to us. In God's grander vision living, He is always talking about prioritizing people, of making them the priority. And Jesus desires that we would prioritize people above everything else. In fact, this whole series, we've been talking about people. And we've been challenging you to take walks across rooms for who? People. For caring more about who? People than you do yourself. Having all sorts of radical inclusiveness and acceptance for people, even if they look different, talk different, act different, or even vote differently than you. That you would invest in people. Will you choose the grander vision living? 
You see, folks, there's a big catch that is just waiting for someone to go fishing for. You will, and you can find the catch of fish. And God has placed those people around you in the place where you work, where you live, where you're connected. Did you realize that there are people that God has called you to reach out to and to bring closer to Him that He did not give the call to Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or anyone else? There are people that He's only called you. If you don't do it, it's not going to get done. So you have to have a grander vision. You have to make people the priority. And so the question becomes, will you become a superstar and shine a huge light in your occupation and go really, really well and make lots and lots of money? Or will you care more about letting your light shine in the lives of people around you? Folks, Jesus was crystal clear when he said this, and this is the next scripture. He said this, he said, you should be a light for other people. Live so that they will see the good things you do, and you will praise your Father in heaven. Friends, your light, your life, is either going to point and direct people towards your heavenly Father, or it won't. And it really is up to you. Either you'll do that, and you'll direct them there, or you'll deny them of the greatest gift that you could ever give them. And that is of knowing the one who knows them best and who loves them most. That's why we exist, folks, is to point people toward God. And Jesus' greatest desire is that all of us in this place would treat people and respond to people and embrace people and prioritize people in such a way that they would want to say, wow, look what God's doing in your life. I want to, you know, I want to experience that God. And so they start going towards Him. You know, there's one person uh, in my life, probably the one person in my life uh, who I've seen who has put people at a greater priority than anyone that I know. And it's not my wife, even though I love her. But when I think of Chuck Mock, I think of somebody who prioritizes people above everything else. He's our Celebrate Recovery ministry leader, and on Thursday nights, um, he leads uh, a group of folks who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And that's why we have that sign up there. We paid a lot of money for that sign. So that you guys, when you look up there and you're like, hey, I'm going through a hurt or habit of hang-up. Oh, wow, I could go there at Thursday at 7 and my life could change. Because we prioritize people in this place and so does Chuck. And this morning I want you to listen to just a, a small story of a, how a small walk that Chuck made impacted the life of two people, Rick Swovelin and China Swovelin. And then how Rick and China's life has impacted dozens of other people, and it's all because of a small walk. So if you would, uh, please give, me a, give a hand to uh, both Chuck and China as they come up. Now, uh, China's dad, Rick, was supposed to be here. He tried to get off for the last month so he could be here. He is a cook. I won't tell you where he's a cook at because then some of you might not go there. <laughs> but 
they would not let him off. They told him he could have it off, and we didn't find this out until Wednesday. And so Chuck actually said, well, why don't you just lose your job for the sake of God? No, he really didn't. Some of you were like really getting, he really didn't say that. But, um, but we didn't want him to lose his job, so we said, hey, you know, we, we thought we could maybe uh, do this uh, kind of on our own. Um, and so that's why uh, Rick's not here this morning. But uh, Chuck and China, thank you guys. Uh, I'll scoot back here so everybody can see. Uh, thanks so much for kind of being here and being willing to share your story. And uh, as much as Chuck has a great gift of communicating, uh, he says he hates interviews. So um, if he doesn't sound so good, well, he just doesn't sound very good. Um, well, hey, Chuck, I understand that about 22 years ago, uh, you walked across a, a room and introduced yourself to Rick. But it really wasn't for Christ. You actually got tried to pick a fight with him. Is that right? Yeah, I actually uh, walked across the bar, actually, to pick oh, a fight a, with him. It was a bar. Good. See, you were like ahead of recovery before you even knew it. Yes. So, um, okay, so you go to this bar. Now, you know, I'm pretty big, but you're kind of scrawny, and... Uh, And Rick is uh, a real big guy. Uh, and uh, what were you thinking? I used to drink a lot. <laughs> okay. And uh, now some strange reason you actually uh, became uh, friends out of this fight. Yeah, you could say we hit it off. Hit it. Okay, that's the interview. God bless you all. Thank Have you. A good... uh, well, anyways, I, I know you guys became buddies. Uh, you partied together. You hung out together. But then in uh, 2005, uh, something changed in your life, and wondered if you could just talk about that a little bit. Well, that's when I um, first started coming to church, and um, shortly after that, I gave my life to Christ. And when I came to Christ, it totally changed me. I mean, I bought into the whole Jesus thing, hook, line, and sinker. And, uh, and I've never looked back from it, even though it, many times I've been tempted when I've went through things to possibly walk away. Um, God has always brought me back to, to his grace. And as I started uh, growing closer to God, I was really challenged to, as you was just talking about, to start seeing people as a priority and one of the priorities was reaching out to my friends. And on the top of that list was, was my friend Rick. And after talking to him about changes um, that I was making in my life, I convinced him and his wife to, to attend the JAR a couple of times. Okay. So uh, they come to the JAR a couple of times, but I know it didn't really stick. And uh, then all of a sudden, uh, Rick kind of hit uh, the deepest valley kind of his life. And then, uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Rick can, um, he can be a very stubborn person. And um, he was living a very wild life. And no matter what anyone said, he, um, he just did things his way. He's also one of the smartest guys that I know. And he built, 
he built a very successful business. I mean, he was pulling in six figures, but he became addicted to drugs really bad, and it was just destroying his life. It was destroying his family, and he just couldn't stop on his own. Eventually, the drugs led him to some other um, illegal activities. He ended up losing his business as well as his marriage, and he found himself in prison. Okay. So uh, the guy that you reach out to, uh, he finds himself in prison. And um, then what kind of happens next? The reality of, of prison woke Rick up, and uh, rock bottom forced him to reach out for something. He realized the path that he was on had to change. Otherwise, he was going to continue to hurt the people that he loved. So in prison, for the first time in his life, he realized he was powerless and he gave up control to God. He realized he was loved by God regardless of his past and the, and the mistakes that he made. And that Jesus walked from heaven to earth so that he could have a new life. He found a purpose and in that purpose, part of that was to show God's love to China. Okay. Now, China, uh, I'm sure that uh, when you looked at your dad, who you grew up with, and he was very, very far from God, and then all of a sudden he like you know goes to prison, you're away from him. There's like all kinds of hurt. I'm sure in the midst of that. And then all of a sudden, um, he like becomes this Jesus freak, you know. Um, what what were you thinking? Like, what was going on? Yeah, to be honest, I was so confused. I was like, wow, did prison just turn my dad into a Jesus freak? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was, you guys heard the story. When I was, my childhood was just traumatizing. When I was nine years old, I've seen things nobody should ever see. I watched my mom overdose. So the ambulance came, like, along with that, the police came. And I remember the ambulance taking my mom away, but the police came up to my brother and I, and they took us, and they put us in the back of the car. And my brother and I are like, I'm like nine, he's about 11. We're like, did we just get arrested or something? Because we were pretty scared. But it was actually Child Protection Services, and they had taken us away from our parents. And then my dad was, you know, in prison for a long time. And I was just, I felt alone, and I was confused, and I wasn't, I didn't know what's going on. So, like... I thought that God didn't want anything to do with me. Like my dad, he was stubborn, but I think I inherited that trait because I was stubborn too. I had this mindset that if God loved me, he wouldn't have done the things he did to me, which, you know, isn't true now that I've realized it. But when my dad would start talking about God to me, I didn't want to hear it. I was like, no, this is not me. So, um, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, a, a picture when CPS enters into anything and some of you know what that's like and kids are taken away and then all of a sudden your dad goes to prison and you feel this sense of abandonment and then all of a sudden he starts talking about this God um, what what would he say I mean like what did he say about this God he would the biggest thing he would ever say was China God loves you and I love you too God has always been there for you and I love my dad and I wanted to feel his love for me too but it wasn't until prison that I found that out because when I was from the age of nine to about 16 the only communication I had with my dad was through letters and so like through these letters he would tell me how much God loves me and of course I'm like no I don't want to talk about this but 
before I knew it, the letters turned into pamphlets, and the pamphlet turned into the Bible. <laughs> I started getting all this stuff in the mail about God, and my dad would be like, have you read the stuff? Have you read the stuff? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I just... <laughs> yeah? <laughs> I don't know. He, he, his biggest thing was saying, hey, China, you live in Muncie now, so the day I get out of prison, which was on Thursday, so I guess it would be on the next Sunday, we're going to the jar. Needless to say, we did. But he always encouraged me to learn about God and experience life with God. All right. Well, uh, Chuck eventually, um, you know, Rick gets out of jail. And it was on a Thursday uh, before church. And and you took another walk. uh, And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I just I went over to the place that he was staying when he got out of prison and um and I just prayed with him. Um, you know, to be honest, he was he was already on fire for God. It wasn't some big thing that I was doing. I just wanted to simply let him know that that he had a friend. Since then, Rick's life has uh changed in a huge way. Uh for much of those first few months, he was really uh really praying heavily and I mean in constant prayers the Bible talks about for China well he made the jar his church home and eventually she as she said was coming to and they started inviting people that they knew I mean I'll never forget there was one Sunday that I looked out and there was two complete rows complete rows of people that them two had walked across rooms for because this whole concept of walking across a room is like a domino effect. I mean, once you start reaching out to others, once you start showing God's love, it, it just kind of impacts everyone around you. Yeah. And I hope you guys see that visual image of a domino. You know, I mean, somebody invested in Chuck's life and then Chuck invested in China's life or in Rick's life. Rick invested in China's life. And now all of a sudden there's this domino ripple effect. That kind of goes. Well, uh, Chuck, eventually I know that uh, Rick got a job, which is really hard if you've ever been in prison, and it takes a while, and he was patient and uh, stayed connected to God and uh, got employed and uh, kept growing closer and closer to God. And uh, you walked across this room, and all of a sudden you start seeing the fruits of it. And then a couple of months ago, something really, really cool happened. And uh, I thought maybe you could share that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Both Rick and China got baptized at, at Prairie Creek. And um, China's mom, who she just talked about, is now a Christian. And she was there to see it as well. So it was, um, it was really an amazing day. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to forget that day. And I was, blessed to, I was blessed to have the privilege of being in the water with them. And as they came walking out and the baptism was starting, Chris, you grabbed my hand and said, you baptize him with me. So, so I did. And, and when China was being baptized, I just thought of all the pain that, that she has went through in her life because I was there to see it. And I just thought about God washing all that away, you know, and it was powerful. And now I think of her servant heart. I mean, she shows up here at 845 every Sunday and she serves the jar kids, man. I mean, I just think I thank God so much for for what he's done in in their lives. It's powerful. Yeah. And and China, what about you? I mean, 
your dad and his story is amazing, but your story is just so powerful to see what God did. And what was that baptism day like, and how has your life kind of changed uh, since then? Well, you know, I really wish my dad was here right now because he's a lot more powerful when he speaks to people. He's more motivational. I mean, obviously, he got me into this whole God thing, so he's pretty good at speaking motively. But, you know, that day was amazing. I never thought, if you would have asked me this time last year if I would ever get baptized, look at you, you'd be like, no. <laughs> like, why would I do that? But I never thought I'd get baptized, let alone with my dad. So that was a really cool experience, but, you know, I lost my train of thought. Hang on. <laughs> When you begin baptism class, Chris asks you of one person that you want to forgive in your life. And I sat there and thought about it, and I was like, you know, my dad, I've always had this grudge against him. I don't know why. I always blame him for my childhood. And every time we would get in a fight, I'd bring it up, be like, you know what? My childhood's messed up because of you. I wouldn't be here right now if it was because of you. He doesn't like that, and I feel really bad for it. So when I took the baptism class, I decided, you know, I need to let go of this grudge with my dad. He's admitted in all of his letters that he was a terrible father, and that right there shows me how much he loves me. So after we got baptized, I, I felt like a new person. I felt like my dad was a new person. The relationship to my dad was just better. I don't feel that weight on my shoulders anymore of all the stuff I had to see and go through with him. But, you know, I went from believing in God to serving him every day. I'm here at 845 every morning <laughs> setting up the kids' room even though I don't want to get up most of the time. And, you know, I used to sit in the back row and sit there and doodle on my paper. <laughs> I went from doodling to actually listening and applying the Bible to my life. So I just now, after seeing, like, the story of the Kenya kids and how they're alone abandoned, I feel better. I feel loved and accepted. I feel like I've been made to a new family. I feel like my family is made to new well, would you join me in giving a hand to both China and Chuck for this story? It's so funny. One of the things Chuck uh often talks about it he's like you know when i first started coming to church you'd start crying up there and i used to think you big cry baby you know <laughs> and then all of a sudden you know he's there and now he's crying and i know sometimes god's spirit moves and i'll tell you that story to me folks was worth the price of admission for anything else you could have done today because what that story about is about is transformation about how a simple walk can change lives. In fact, I was thinking about it. You don't have to be any more talented or smarter than Chuck Mock to impact lives. You know? I mean, all you have to do is say, I'm available, and you walk across room, and lives get changed. And the reality is, that's all God asks. He says, would you be willing to say I'm available? And then he does the changing. And if you remember that last scripture, it says, let your light, not your spouse's light, not your parents' light, not uh, my light, not Chuck's light, but it says, let your light shine before others. That God's wanting you to have some effect in the 
circles of influence around you that you would have a light that would shine into people's lives. Friends, the grander vision is about accepting people and loving people and caring for people, not when everything's going well, but when they hit their rock bottom. And do you still walk in the midst of that? You prioritize people. It's as simple as that. The second thing you need to do is you need to see potential in people. Not only do we make people a priority, but we also see the potential in them. You know, the section of the Bible that encourages me the most in this area is when it comes to how Jesus picked his 12 disciples. I mean, uh, the passages that surround that uh, discuss the fact that he picked these disciples, his followers, his best friends. And if you read all of those sections of, of him calling them, what you would find out is you would find out who he didn't pick. You see, he didn't pick the spiritual superstars of his day. He didn't pick uh, all the religious people or all the rich people. In fact, Jesus didn't pick the best looking, the most talented, or the best educated, or the most likely to succeed. Jesus picked 12 ordinary, sinful, insecure people just like you and me. And he said, I'm going to change the world with those folks. First, he picked these four smelly fishermen with the story that we talked about earlier. I mean, by anyone's standards, folks, these people should not have been picked. To be the number one followers of the Messiah, the Anointed One, God's one and only Son, I mean, surely He could have picked someone better than these folks because they all left Him at this, His most difficult moment in life. But Jesus saw something in these guys of what they could be like. He saw potential in them. He looked past their self-centeredness and He saw the potential for them to be servants. He looked past their rebelliousness and he saw the potential for them to live a life of righteousness. He looked past their quick temper and he saw the potential for them to build his kingdom. And that's what he's asking us today too. He says, I see potential in you guys. There's so much potential in this room. We could change the entire community of Muncie and Delaware County with just the potential of people in this place if they would walk like the disciples walked. Now last week we talked a little bit about what your life was like before Christ and after Christ. And we encouraged people, and I want to encourage you to keep sending me your stories. I got several this week. And each of our before stories, before we came to Christ, was pretty ugly and nasty. Jesus had to look past all of our mistakes and our flub-ups and mess-ups, and he had to choose to accept us and love us no matter what. But he did. And he will accept anyone and everyone of their past faults and hurts if they will simply say, I'm available, God, forgive me. He does that. He did it for Rick. He did it for Chuck. He did it for China. He did it for me. And that's why I know this, because he did it for me. For most of my life, I struggled with anger. I can still remember as a little kid, whenever I would get disciplined, I'd get real angry. And if I could get away from my parents' grasp of their arms, I would run away and I would be away for two or three hours. Now, that was back in the day in which parents were like, good, I'm glad you're gone, you know. Now, if you're away two or three minutes, you know, they're calling, you know, someone, which it should be that way. 
But I remember throwing things as a kid. I remember uh, hitting things. I just had a really difficult time kind of managing my anger. Now, you would think that, well, once you become older, then it got better, but it really didn't. Then I got into college, and I would be angry, and I would just take off, or I would go off on people. And then I got married. And you would think, well, once you get married, then it finally happens. And then I became a pastor. You know, and once you're a pastor, you never get angry about anything. You're just like, let the little children come. I love you all. But it didn't. And there were several times in those early years of our marriage in which I would walk away or hit a wall or throw something. And I'm not proud of this. But there were dozens of times in which I let my anger consume me to the point that my wife was in tears. Now, from the outside, it looked like everything was fine. Look at that. Oh, he's the pastor. Look, he stands on stage. Whoa. But on the inside, there was this real hurt guy. And God had to be able to say, you know what? I see potential. In fact, I see so much potential in you, Chris, that I'm going to start a church with only just a few people, but eventually there will be many, many who will come into a relationship with Christ, not because of you, but because of the potential I see in you and me working in you. And after much prayer and counseling and, and all kinds of stuff to work on my anger stuff, and I got my anger management under some control, we started the jar, and all of a sudden, that same anger doesn't consume me. Does it come back sometimes? Absolutely. Does it control me? It doesn't, folks. It really does And that's not because of me, but it's because of the relationship that I have with the one who loves me. Now, this is just one example. I could give you tons of personal examples of my life. And I bet you guys could too. Folks, every single person in this place, you have an area in which you need it to be shaped and refined and changed so that your life gets better, the people around you get better, and you get to serve God better. I mean, we need God's perspective in our life. So let God do His work in your life. And the key about walking across rooms, folks, is that you can't be the lifestyle referee. You see, one of the things that I notice sometimes is when people come to Christ, all of a sudden they start changing, but they start acting like they're so much more righteous than everyone else. And all of a sudden, they don't hang out with people where they're like, oh my gosh, can you believe their language? And I'm like... Serious? I remember three years ago, your language was worse than a sailor. Or whatever the issue is. So don't be a lifestyle referee. God sees potential. You allow Him to use that potential for His glory. So you live a grander life by making people the priority and seeing potential in them. And then the question really becomes, how do I live this grander lifestyle? I mean, how do we take it home now? How do we practically live this out in our world? And I was thinking about it this week, and it really is as simple as this. You start small, but you start. The problem is is that many of us sit on the bench for a long time, and we never invest our life in the people around us because we're afraid. I won't say the right thing. I may say the wrong thing. I don't want to confuse them. But you've got to start small, but you've got to start. 
If you see people as a priority, you see potential in them, then you start taking walks towards those people. You get out of your circle of comfort. Remember in week one, we said get out of your comfort zone and get into the zone of the unknown because that's where God shows up and does great things. Now, I'm not talking about walking across the room and preaching to someone or converting someone. I'm talking about developing a friendship, discovering their story, and discerning what is my next step. So I want to give you a moment right now for you to think about what is your next step to living in this grander vision living. It could be you could take a coworker out to lunch for no other reason but to show God's love and to build a friendship. You could do that this week. Maybe it's you offer to watch your neighbor's kids. And you say, hey, I'll, I'll watch your kids. Make sure you tell them only two hours, but I'll watch your kids. You know? Or maybe it's walking across the factory floor or an office floor. And uh, you take this little invitation that we gave to you guys about seeing double. I mean, that, that's the thing. Half of your friends, they would say yes if you just asked them. That's statistical. There's a Gallup poll that says that. If you just go and say, hey, I wondered if you would go next week, seeing double. What do you mean seeing double? Oh, okay, 9 or 10.45. And then meet them up front. Don't say, I'll meet you in here, because then you don't get to see them. Say, I'll meet you at the front door. We'll sit together. Or maybe you have a party. Throw a party with some people from work and some of your church friends. Don't get the judgmental church friends. Don't invite them. Invite the people that don't care if you have a beer or two and you, you hang out, you know, or, you know, people's language maybe. Who cares? Spiritual conversations happen out of that. I don't know what your next step is, but I want you to take a moment right now in your program and you write something down. And like, if you don't want to write something down, just do what China did for a long time. Just doodle and it'll make me feel better, okay? So take a moment. It's in your program. One or two things that you could do and then we'll close out. A couple weeks ago, I was really challenged that I'm asking everybody to do something. I need to take a big step. And I had a friend from college. We went to college together. Uh, he lives in the area now. He has a business. I hadn't really connected with him that much. And uh, I picked up the phone and uh, called him. The only problem was I called the wrong number. I actually called the number of someone who left the church two years ago. True story. Because I wrote his name down like two years ago. And I said, I'm going to reach out to him. It took me two years. But I had a phone number that was on there. I thought it was his number. They left the church. God probably won't ask you to do that. But I went ahead and I called him again. And so we're going to try to do lunch this week. Because I don't, I don't, want, I don't want Tim... To not go to heaven because I didn't choose to walk across the room. And it may take days or weeks or months or years, but I'm committed to doing that with Tim. I really am. And you know, I was thinking this week, I was thinking that this will be the last time that we all meet together uh, in one celebration. Next week we'll go to two celebrations. And it's exciting because God's growing and moving and changing us in different ways. And in the midst of that, we do all of this because we want his name made great. And I was thinking about all the excitement, what God's done in building this place called the jar. And there was a scripture that came to mind, and it'll come up here on the side screens. Jesus said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
I will build my church. Who's going to build the church? Not me. Jesus said He's going to build His church. He's going to build His church in the entire world. He's going to build His church in every church in Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana. And He's called you here to build His church called the Jar. He is God's one and only Son. And He's saying, I want you to help me to build this thing. And did you realize that that His job description, once He ascended back into heaven, was to do one thing and one thing only. And that is to build the church that He died for. That's His whole goal until He comes again is He wants to build His church. He's not... You know, got the job description of directing the heavenly angel choir. You know, they're doing okay. He's not fearful of planets spinning out of orbit, and he's going to have to go in and say that. No, they've stayed in orbit, and they've done really well for, you know, millions and millions of years. He's not taking a long nap up in heaven, just taking it easy, doing some crossword puzzles until he returns. He is full-on focused 24-7 every single day thinking, how can I build my church? And he wants to build it right here. And folks, one of the greatest privileges that you have in your life is that you're here today and God wanted me to tell you that he's telling you, I want you to help me build my church. I want you to build my church. I want you to build my church. I want you, 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 I want you. I want everybody who is in here this morning, I want you to help build my church. That's what God says. Walk across the room. Extend a hand. Build a friendship. Take the time. Do it because it's worth it. Now at this time, I'd like you to pull out this morning prayer, and this is how we're going to close today. I think the most powerful thing that could happen is that we would pray as a church each morning. And you can pull this out because we're going to read it here in a second. And each morning that you would wake up and you would pray this prayer. And I'm challenging you right now for the next 40 days that you just wake up and you pray this prayer. And then when God prompts you and He gives you a whisper to do something, that you would actually do it. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just asking you to read this prayer each morning for the next 40 days. And if God whispers something, do it. If He doesn't, don't do it. And I was just thinking about it. What if all of us really like said, man, I'm in. I'm in today. I'm really going to commit to this. I'm going to commit to praying this thing for the next 40 days. What would happen? You know what I think would happen? I think the gates of hell would melt just a little bit. And what if every single church in Delaware County and East Central Indiana, if we woke up every morning and we just prayed a prayer, this prayer, all of a sudden lives would be changed because of God moving. Because Jesus said, it's my job description. I want to build my church. 
And so let's stand. We're going to say this prayer out loud together. And if anyone would like any more prayer after this, um, John Bunch and Maria Yamas will be up here. If you'd like prayer for anything, they'll be here to pray with you as long as need be. Now, before we pray this, I want you to look at this card and notice that on the bottom, there is a signature. It says signature and date. And I'm not telling you to do this, but I found that when I sign things, it usually makes me do it. So I'm going to sign this. But I want you to just find a witness, somebody beside you, that they would say, hey, before God, I'm committed to this, just for 40 days. You don't have to do it beyond that. It's 41st day, you're done, you know, throw it away. But for 40 days, you'd say, hey, you know what, I'm really going to do this. So find someone after we pray this and have them just watch you sign it and say, hey, I'm going to do this for God, for His love. And... Um, if for some reason people around you aren't being cooperative, and that happens at the jar, come up here. I'll bear witness. I'll stay here as long as I need to. Because, folks, I can't think of anything more powerful than praying each morning that God would do the things that are in this prayer through you. Through you. So one loud voice, let's pray this prayer together, and then I'll close this. Let's pray. My morning prayer, all in one loud voice. Let's pray this together. God, this is a new day. I freshly commit myself to the role you have invited me to play as you are building your church called the jar in this community. I am awestruck again today that you include me in this grand life-giving, world-transforming endeavor. So today, I joyfully give you my love, my heart, my energy, my talents, my creativity, my resources, my faithfulness, and my gratitude. I commit all of myself to the role you have assigned me in building of the jar so that it may thrive in this community. Give me courage to walk across the room today and I will bring my best. You deserve it. Your church deserves it. It is the hope of the world. God, I pray that this would, would be our prayer. God, I think of so many people, just last week as I prayed with people, so many hurting people in our community. And God, we want to be available. We want to pray this prayer. We want to see this prayer become a reality as we allow you to move in this place. God, thank you for what you've done in this series. You had this series in mind a long time that we would walk across rooms and God, give us the courage to do that this week. And God, as we leave, help us to feel your presence the presence of your love in our life. God, we want to join you in building your church. We're available. We're ready to pray this. Help us do it. May God, may you do something great, God, in these next 40 days so that your name would be made great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. Uh, guest Connections, if you're new, uh, check it out over there and uh, 
They got a gift for you. Fell. I simply 